You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. So this is our last week in missional living. We plan to be in Luke 6 next week, and then we're going to take a four-week journey through Advent, the arrival of Christ as we look forward to Christmas. This series, this missional living series, actually will become a class that we'll offer to the church yearly because it serves as an important function for our identity as a local body, but as fundamental truth for God's people. Our greatest temptation and the one that we most often give into in this world is the fight to believe that we exist for our own selves, that we exist for our purposes. That is something that we battle against every day of our lives. And for centuries, the Christian church has been using a document called a catechism. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Catechism is a way to remember basic truths and element of the Christian faith and of life. Uh, a catechism is simply a set of teachings that are usually in the forms of questions and answer that are primarily used to instruct children and young people and new believers in who we are, who God is, and what we believe. They take the entire weight of Scripture and they condense it into fundamental truths through questions and answers that reflect God's truth. The word catechism to us sounds archaic and maybe a little out of date, but it has been the primary way of teaching God's people for over 1,600 years in God's beautiful church across all sorts of different churches and traditions that claim that Jesus Christ is Lord and that the Bible is the rule of faith and practice. And so I endorse, like I endorse using catechisms. If you haven't, I would recommend a few to you if you are looking and interested. I, I think today we try to fight and figure out how we make faith relevant to our culture and to our time, but the only way our faith matters is that it's irrelevant to our world and our time. And so there's some ancient, beautiful truths that we hold to as, as a Christian people that are for our good. One of those catechisms is called uh, a, what, the Westminster Catechism. It was written in 1656 in England. And the very first question of that catechism, the foundational question that it asked very first is this, what is the chief and highest end of man? What is the chief and highest end of man? When it says man, it's referring to mankind, both male and female. And in a modern day translation of that question, it would just simply say, what is the purpose of life? What is the ultimate purpose of our life here? And the question is answered this way, that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That the highest reality of mankind, our ultimate purpose is to live lives that reflect his goodness and his character and his love into the world and enjoy him forever. That is the chief and highest end of man's. Other catechisms start with this question. What is our only hope in life and death? What is our only hope in life and death? And the answer that these catechisms convey is this, is that we are not our own. 
We are not our own, but we belong by mind, body, and spirit, both in life and death to God. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. That has been the teaching of the ancient church for its history. As long as it has existed, that life exists not for the primary purposes of humanity, but our existing is primarily for the purposes of God. And ultimately, whether we feel that or not in this moment, that is actually for our joy that that is true. Because as one who is both loved and kept by God, our creator, our redeemer, our avenger, it means that my worth and security and value are settled, secured, and unchangeable. I have a worth not in what I do or earn or know on this world, but in the fact that the very creator of the world made me, knows me, and loves me. I have security and value, or I should say I have value, not in how the world sees me or even how I see myself, but through God's blood-soaked hands in his descent into creation to die on the cross, to purchase, justify, redeem us from a life of sin and death. I have security because no matter what happens to me in this world, I have a God, a creator that made it all and is with me and for me in all of it. I, through my faith, trust in the sacrifice and death and resurrection of a God on the cross that brings me the assurance that no matter the suffering in this world, no matter what comes my way, that he is in the midst of it with me. And that whatever it is, he will turn it for my good in this life or the next, that one day everything will be made right and whole in my forever home with him. This is the very crux of our creation. This is the highest purpose of our lives, is to be in a faithful relationship with God, because it's the only true place that humanity can prosper and flourish. It's the only place that we belong, because it was the only place we were created to be. Yet, our world, and when I say world, what I mean is the broken systems and cultures and people and power and persuasions of a creation that bends towards evil and self-obsession, that world incites us away from our truest self. It incites us away from who we were meant to be, where we truly flourish by compelling to us that we need to change the fundamental source of our purpose. It tells us that we don't exist to glorify, reflect God, and to enjoy him together forever, but rather, if the world were to write its own catechism and answer the question, what is the purpose of mankind, it would answer it and say that we exist to promote and enjoy ourselves forever. That hope and meaning in life and death is discovered only by our own selves, within ourselves, by ourselves and not outside of us by our creator. I was reading an article this week that was mentioning a book by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons that is called Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme. And the article was talking about a study that was done for that book in which 84% of Americans believed, said that they believed that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. And furthermore, 86% believe that to enjoy yourself, you must pursue your desires in life. And that 91% affirm this statement, this statement, to find yourself 
you must look within yourself. Like this is a subtle deception by a crafty world and enemy to convince us that we exist for ourselves. There is a craftiness to this world that pulls us away from our true purpose and design. And look, there is pleasure to be found here. There is happiness to be found here. But they're always momentarily, always fleeting. Comfort and joy and happiness can be found by the world, but only for a time. But it comes with a cost, doesn't it? It comes with a cost because you will never be satisfied with that pursuit. Those pursuits of comfort and happiness in the world continue to leave you unfulfilled and in desperation and ultimately then willing to give up more of yourself to get what you want. Your worth and your value and your security are never grounded. They're never firm. They're never secure. They're always changing. Why? I put it this way. Because a more can't make dead people alive. It can only make dead people look better. The world cannot offer you life. It never has. It can't bring to you what you're looking for. It can only make you feel a little less decaying and lacking for a moment. Ultimately, though, it leaves us sicker than we were before. You know, what happens in nature when you go in the midst of it and you dig up a plant or a tree? What would happen to that tree? Well, it dies. And why does it die? Because you have cut it off from its only source of nourishment in life. If you were to go into nature and you were to destroy an animal's habitat or its ecosystem, what would happen to that animal? The animal would die. Why? Because you removed it from its source of nourishment in life. It dies. And when we detach our existence, our life, from our own creator, the one that made us and holds us and keeps us, we have cut ourselves off from the very source of our nourishment and life. And it will only bring to us greater consequences. We have increasingly become a creation that no longer sees ourselves as creatures. We see ourselves as our own creator, the very source of our own lives. And yet it is obviously not working. But our pursuits have blinded us in some ways. There is an epidemic of division and hate in our world right now. An epidemic of loneliness and depression and suicide and anxiety and stress. All of our efforts that we think are fixing us are only, in fact, leaving us worse. But still, yet still, we seek comfort in this life, comfort by the world, like an addict looking for their next high. With the knowledge and in light of the brevity and the withdrawal from the last one, seeking something stronger and longer in the next one. Isn't it always the next relationship that's going to fix us? Isn't it always the next paycheck that is risen, a raise that's going to fix us? Isn't it always the next endeavor or encounter or person? Isn't it always the next experience that's going to make us whole? Isn't it always the next version of ourselves that's finally going to get it? Or the next church in our life that's going to bring us wholeness? Certainly we say that, this, surely this will be better than what I have. Surely that will be better than what is currently in my life. And whatever that next whatever is, 
when it doesn't work and it won't work, we will pursue in greater lengths the cure to fix our lacking and decaying. And we will give more of ourselves away to get it. And so listen, when the prophet Jeremiah writes to us that our hearts are deceitful and wicked and desperately sick and we cannot understand it, he is not being a jerk. He's not limiting us. He's not trying to put you down. He is warning you that you have a heart that you cannot understand. When we say heart, In scripture, we're talking about the moral, intellectual, emotional center of a person, the thing that makes you, you. Our scripture says that you cannot understand it, that that part of you is sick and busted and is thirsting after things that you think you need but are ultimately making you sick, sick, and you can't fix it, let alone understand it. And so what is crucial for us in this season and every season of our lives? Because we are a people that are prone to wonder. We are a people who are prone to forget. We need to remember what is true of us and what isn't true of us. Friends, we aren't self-sufficient. Like self-reliance is a myth. We aren't our own source. We aren't our own creator. We are creatures, created, dependent, limited. And if you want to feel that, go as you are into the middle of the woods and try to live by yourself for two weeks. You will surely die. The sky is not your limit. You don't have unlimited potential. You are limited, created, in need of your creator. And that is the only place that you were made to exist. All of the realities and happenings of our life are directly impacted by us living in and through the very crux and core of our creation, the very purpose for our existence. We were made to be in a relationship with God. And that is our primary purpose, is to be in relationship with God for his glory, his fame, and ultimately for our joy and flourishing. So friends, do not let anyone in this world or anything in this world convince you otherwise. May the Lord give you the eyes to see the folly of the perpetual chasing and the wisdom of the world to know that it will never satisfy you and it never has and it never will. Today, it has progressed to the point that we've been deceived to even look at our own design our own bodies and anatomies as limiting, barriers to our best life. We are beginning to think and say in confusion and through deception in this world that we somehow were made incorrectly, to believe our anatomy is flawed, that our design was a mistake. We are beginning to see ourselves no longer as physical things existing in physical worlds, but as a consciousness existing only in a conceptual world where the only thing is true and real is what we think. We were created, and we need our creator to make sense of the entirety of our purpose in our life. And in this series, we have tried to convey to you that message, that hope, that you were made to be in relationship with God. Each one of you is to live out that purpose in different roles, responsibilities, and tasks, in different relationships. We partner with God on this earth in subduing and multiplying and ordering and creating, using the gifts and talents that we have through him and by him. All of us 
have different types of work, but every one of us share the same purpose. We are light bearers. We are missionaries in this, our place. We are to reflect God and his character and his love through all that we do. This is our place. This is the place that God created us in on purpose for a reason. These are our people. A people that aren't there for us to get what we need from, but people being what reveals to us the true nature of our hearts. Do I really believe and act? Do I really live what I believe? Do I really love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? And none of it, none of that pursuit or, or, or understanding is possible if we're leaning into our own power. Like power is an illusion in this world. The only power that we have is in that God has the power to hold us. That is the only true power that we have, that whatever comes my way, the creator of it all is with me in the midst. And that power of God brings me peace that I can rest. Like, do you hear that today, friends? Like, you can rest. You can rest in your creator and not be tossed to and fro in this world, but approach it with a posture that God is active and working in every part of it just as he is in your life. That he is in the work of redemption. And he is redeeming the world and all things to himself just as he has you. And he desires to work that redemption through you into the world to pursue people, not as transactions, but to pursue them by making peace through Christ, revealing his goodness to the world and enjoying him forever. That has been the focus of these our eight weeks. And today, I, I, I want to spend the last part of our series talking about what I think is one of the largest obstacles for us in living a missional life and flourishing in this world. And that obstacle is perfection. Perfection. And so this is our big idea today. That God isn't looking for perfection. He's seeking faithfulness. God isn't looking for perfection. He is seeking faithfulness. There is a cultural pressure to be proficient and perfect in the things and endeavors of our lives. Perfectionism is this subtle but real expectation of the world. That at our jobs, there are expectations that you perform the duties of your job responsibility to the letter. And often, what happens when you don't? Here comes your boss, right? To tell you what you failed in. Maybe to warn you verbally, to write you up, and if it's great enough, to even let you go. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have those expectations, but I am saying that there is a belief deep in our minds that knows that we cannot fail those expectations. And in some ways, we live in fear of them. In our homes, we can create an expectation of ourselves to be the perfect mom, or the perfect dad, the perfect husband, or the perfect wife, or the perfect grandparent, or grand, whatever your role is, cousin or aunt, we look into the world and often compare ourselves to others, and it exposes our flaws and our shortcomings, and all of those expectations that we put on ourselves end up bringing us into despair. 
And so it is very natural for us because of those practices in our life that when we come to church and we hear God's word and his commands and his desires, when we consider the weight of all the things that he has said and all that he has done for us, it often for us in this world translates into a heavy expectation, an impossible to meet expectation on ourselves. And the last thing that we want to do in this life is to fail. The last thing that we want to be seen as in this world is a failure. And so for many, the translation of Christian living becomes heavy expectation that keeps us from really embracing who Christ is and living and trusting him fully. But my question is, is is that what God asks of us, to be perfect? And I'm here to tell you, it is. (laughs) Sorry to bait and switch you there. But it is. It is his demand. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that we must be perfect. Perfect is the expectation of God. It's the demand of the law. It is necessary for righteousness and salvation and relationship with God. But none of it, (laughs) none of it comes from you. None of it comes from you. None of us can be perfect as hard and as long as we might try. You can't live on a deserted island by yourself for the rest of your life and ever achieve perfection. It's not within your own capability. And so what does God do with this demand for perfection? Because it's there. And so, listen, if you're here today and you have a conception of God as being judgmental, bending towards evil, apathetic to your struggles in life, I need you to hear this. What does God do with his demand of perfection? He satisfies it. He takes it. The scripture tells us that every one of us were destined for destruction. Every single one of us have rejected God and followed after our own selves. We have desecrated his creation. We have rejected his loving kindness, his generosity, his abundance and love to worship ourselves. You tell me what is justice there. You tell me what is justice to do something perfectly to somebody and then to have them walk away from you. Justice would be to let that person walk away and live in their own folly. But our God didn't do that. He didn't do that. And that is unimaginable. He didn't do that. It is unnatural and unimaginable. We in this world have rejected God fully, but he never did. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, this is us, God's children by faith, He himself likewise partook of the same thing. This is Christ. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he 
had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the, war, of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Well, what is the saying? What says that through a divine act of love and through scandalous grace that the sovereign and holy God of the universe left his throne and descended into his creation to do for his creation what they could not do for themselves, that he in every way subjected himself to all of humanity to destroy the power of sin and death in every way, to deliver us from the fear of death that makes us lifelong slaves. What does that mean? What means that because humanity is going to die, the impending reality informs us in how we make decisions. Because we are going to die on this world, we base our decisions around the fact that we are going to die. We believe that we have a short time in this world, and so we men tend to make decisions that are for our joy, that are for our selfishness, that are for our benefit in this life, because we're going to die, and we might as well enjoy this life. And the Bible says that we are slaves then. You are slaves to your own life because of that death. That you make impulsive decisions in the now. That is slavery. But our God didn't create us that way. You were created never to die. You were created never to taste death. You were created to only know him, to only know life with him. Death doesn't have to be our reality. It doesn't have to be feared. God has made a way to justify us. God has made a way to redeem us in Christ. Christ on the cross absorbs all the just wrath that God has for humanity who's rejected his loving kindness and generosity and abundance. Christ absorbs all of that just wrath and at the very same time endures all of the violence that humanity has against God that we might be reconciled to relationship with him again. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sin and through his death and resurrection, God settles and satisfies his demand for perfection. Jesus is a just and right propitiation for our sins. The question that I ask to you and me, I have to ask myself, is what else am I going to add to that perfection? Nothing. I can't. What are you going to add to Christ's perfect sacrifice? Nothing. What could I give to God that he hasn't already found in his son? How could I improve on his perfection? The reality is I can't. And that is freeing. That is restful. That not only can I not add to his perfection, I can't even diminish it. Hebrews 4 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When it says that we hold fast to our confession, it means this, is that we hold fast to the truth that Jesus died for my sin, that he was resurrected into new life, and now that he's ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father in this high priestly role where he intercedes and and mediates on my behalf. He's in the heavenly realms during our sin saying, I paid for that. I paid for it. It's satisfied. It's just, I made it. I made it all forgiven. Friend, do you understand that all of God's wrath was poured out onto Christ? There's none left. There's none left. He poured it all out onto Jesus. Those of faith, we have no fear of condemnation. But we get a delight in the fact that God has been merciful and graceful to me. Jesus does for us what we cannot. All of it is poured out. Kevin DeYoung writes this in one of his books. He says, some of us live a Christian life as if we are always under the stern, watchful eye of our Father, and he is very impossible to please. No, God delights even in our heartfelt attempts for obedience. Do we understand that God himself descended into the world that he came to redeem and rescue you from this world, to bring you back. He's not a distant God who demands we change our ways or else, but one that came so near that he became like us in every respect to sympathize with our weaknesses that we might know he paid for it. He paid for it. He redeemed it. Not to believe that you can add anything to that message. Not to believe that you can take away from that message, but simply to delight in the fullness of it. To know and experience the depths of God's grace for you and love for you, that in the lowest spot of your life, the worst moment of your life, that God's grace even extends to you there. It extends to you there. It meets you there. Not then to result with you through effort trying to obey him more, but that his grace would grow your affection and love for him. So that is my heart for you today. Many of you in this room do not attempt to walk the life of faith or to live out this walk simply because you don't think you can. And as one of my favorite Reformed pastors has said, that's exactly where you need to be. You can't. You can't. Can't. The weight of your expectations on yourself, the weight of the expectations that you see Scripture putting on you prevents you even from trying. So friends, can I convey to you the simplest of big ideas? That God is not looking for perfection. He is seeking faithfulness. There's not a moment in our life where relationship, I I should say, there probably is a moment in our life where relationship with God starts. A lot of us in this world, in a church world that bends towards success, wants to make salvation look like a prayer or a moment or even a baptism. But friends, there is no prayer, there is no act that you could ever do to earn salvation. 
you begin a relationship with God by simply saying, today. Simply by believing. Simply by trusting. Simply by, in my most meager effort, walking one step for him. You will never be fixed on this world. But you can rest in the one that has. And that's a profound joy in our life. We can never live on mission without the right worship. Mission isn't a substitute for worship. Mission is the response to proper worship. And so we worship our creator as the one who made us, designed us, not to live for our own ends, but to simply be in relationship with him, to reflect him and enjoy him forever. Would you pray with me? I so wait it, Lord. I'm just so weighted, Lord, by the stupidity that the world pushes on us. And Lord, I'm even more aghast at my response to it that I believe it at times. That there's something that this world could give to me, a created being, limited and dependent on my creator, who loves me and made me and keeps me. I'm embarrassed, Lord, at my pursuit of earthly things. Lord, will you convey to us the rest that we find in simply enjoying you, simply centering our lives around our fundamental purpose is to simply be in relationship with you, to live out that relationship in this world, that, Lord, that we can find rest in knowing that our value and our worth and our security is settled, secured, and unchangeable by and through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for coming so near that you could sympathize with all of our weaknesses. That we would know that you paid all of it, even for our worst. We pray this through your beautiful name, Christ. Amen.